Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Coach's Corner U podcast. I am Paul O'Need, your host, and today I'm joined by one of my good friends, coach for Master Athletic Performance, Francesco Catalano. Welcome to the podcast, man. Hey, Paul. Uh, I'm happy to be back. I think this is the second time I've been on it. Yeah, yeah. You were on now with Tony and I. So That's right. So I'm really excited to be back. A lot of life changes happened since then. A lot of things to talk about. A lot of things to talk about it's uh you know i'm i started the podcast again and i was like okay i'm gonna make it super professional and it's gonna we're gonna have sponsors and i was like you know what that's not really me it, i'm gonna sponsor my own podcast <laughs> and uh i'm just gonna interview my friends and uh like for me that was the biggest thing that i benefited from from the podcast before is just interviewing people that i respect in the industry uh, at the time, we weren't working together, so it was a great opportunity for me to get to know you. And I think it's a with all the changes that have gone on in life, uh, great time for you to you know be reintroduced, especially now as a part of the Master Athletic Performance team. And man, I was super stoked when you came on board, and I'm really excited for what's to come for for both you, Master Athletic Performance, and everything that that's going on with that. So maybe fill people in what's been going on the last couple of years. Well, um, I am now a father. Uh, I was a husband before when we last spoke. It was uh, it was just a secret. Uh, my wife and I, Sarah, uh, got married in Florida in secrecy because the, the pandemic was kind of keeping us apart uh, because she's American, I'm Canadian, and the borders were closed. We didn't know how long um, it was going to be that we were going to be away from each other. So we decided, you know what, we love each other. And if things don't work out, you know, we could always get divorced in secret too. Actually, I didn't tell her that. That was on my mind. But, you know, it's it's very nice to kind of have that kind of, you know, cop out just in, or escape just in case. But we were both really confident. Um, and, you know, we were trying for, for our now son, Javi, you know, a few months after she came into Canada. So it was very much like it was a real thing. We were super happy um, to make that move. And it really just showed how much how committed we were to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, yeah, we, we got pregnant pretty quickly, uh, and that was during the pandemic. Still, things were super scary. Um, you know, whether wherever you lean on the spectrum, it doesn't matter. You mm-hmm. don't want your pregnant wife to get sick with anything or your 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 baby. So that was a, a really fun time. And during that time, we had moved into our home that I had already bought, uh, which we were very fortunate to have the people that were renting it move out a little bit early when we found out we were expecting. Um, and that's when we you know, made ourselves a home gym and kind of made it like a little sanctuary where we didn't have to, if anything happened, or even like with our work from home situations, we don't have to leave the house. We could still train um, as much as we wanted. And, you know, we'll talk about it a little bit later, I think, but that doesn't, you know, that didn't really pan out. We're not training, training as frequently as we thought we would be or training as hard, despite having the convenience and, you know, the luxury of having a fully decked out gym. Yeah. Uh, what, regardless of whatever you're, you're training for, um, you know, that's been, that's been the reality here. It's funny you say that. Cause I put the home gym in and during COVID as well. And it was like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm going to be super excited about training. And I felt like I was just dragging ass trying to get down there. I ended up having to put this like, okay, I'm going to set my alarm because my desk is like 14 feet from the stairs. <laughs> I'm going to leave the house, go for a walk, and then pretend that I'm going to a new place and just walk straight downstairs and start my workout. The convenience just wasn't, it was like, yeah, this is super convenient. But when you work from home, it's challenging. 
Yeah, because the only, at least for me, you know, there's convenience, but as soon as you get in there, you're thinking about all the things that you could be doing inside, going back to work, finishing this, and you just get comfortable. You take longer in between sets. Your workouts tend to take a little bit longer because you're not motivated. You're not, you know, trying to be courteous by letting the other person, you know, just take the take the equipment or go home. You know, like when you're at the gym, you're you're there to work, but then you also want to go home, but you're already home. Um, so there's definitely yeah. there, there's less of a fire under you if you don't have a goal. Yeah. Um, and I try to make up some goals for myself, and you know, they they come and go, and then I kind of just realize. You know, I'm not complacent. I'm just content. Uh, and that's kind of where I've been for, for a long time. But like, you know, the power lifter in me is always like, I need to get stronger. I need to do better. And I think a lot of that has to do with social media and like seeing everyone, at least the algorithm, making it seem like everyone that I know or people that I, you know, respect are getting stronger and getting after it. Uh, when in reality, some of those people are also falling off or taking time off, but the algorithm continues to push you, you know, the, those kinds of people. Um, and then I just realized, you know what, I'm super content just kind of training the way that I want to train a couple times a week. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy, <laughs> you know, that that's the big thing. Uh, so that kind of took a lot of pressure and guilt from getting into the home gym. I'm in there every single day. It's not necessarily resistance training. You know, I'm always, I, we got a, a, a Nordic track bike that is the competitor to Peloton. Mm -hmm. And I am on that every morning at five in the morning for like 30, 40 minutes, catching up on my YouTube podcast whatever and just like really enjoying that um but uh yeah a lot of a lot of the equipment doesn't always get touched well i i told Liv, i was like you know we have this home gym now we don't we want to move and i'm like if we move we're not selling the equipment because i want to keep the home gym so that when we have kids even if it's just to go down there and mess around for a little bit i need to have that space and um you mentioned something really interesting and it, and it resonated with me seeing that I just recently decided to forego competitive powerlifting for at least the near and potentially near distant future um, or forever. And mm -hmm. I'm trying to figure out what fitness looks like for me. And it's the first time I haven't been following a program. It's the first time I've just been going in and I have a general idea of what I want to train that day, but kind of doing whatever I feel called to do. And what I'm realizing is it really doesn't take the amount of complexity that we think it does to get number one, get in a good workout and work hard, but number two, to actually make meaningful progress in the areas we want to make progress. Like my, my goals right now, I don't need to be 250 pounds anymore. So I'm going to try and lose some weight. Well, that also means I have the luxury of not forcing food down my face and I'm learning how to eat according to my hunger levels. And uh, Liv actually made fun of me yesterday because she ate more than me. And, hmm. <laughs> and uh, it's just it's just a really interesting change in dynamic. And I'm wondering if you went through a bit of like an identity crisis at all when, while you made the transition from, you know, competitive athlete to priority number one being dad. Um. No, I, I mean, I think I went through a couple of identity crises throughout my powerlifting career. Um, and I, you know, just listening to other people in the industry and them talk about identity and self-acceptance has really helped shape the way that I think about myself. And I, I recently made a post after not posting a lot recently, just kind of letting, you know, people know where, where I'm at. And it's, you know, I have learned that I, I'm not just the powerlifter. 
Mm -hmm. know, that's what people used to, when people ask me what I did or who I was, I would say proudly I'm a powerlifter. And then they would ask, what is that? Um, and I would have to explain and they would, you know, look at me uh, all oddly, but like, I'm so much more than that. Uh, and like, I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm a son, a brother, a coach, you know, a lot of, a lot of things. This hobby doesn't define me. And while it brought me a lot of joy and I owe a lot to the sport, to where I am today, all the opportunities that it's given me, it's not who I am. And kind of realizing that really helped me, you know, put things into perspective. Like I don't need to push myself as hard as I did to continue to get bigger numbers. And I never liked getting stronger because it just meant I had to work harder and the numbers were always scarier. And just the, the potential risks for injury just kept going higher and higher. Not that I ever really got injured, but like, it's just, it's there. And I, I didn't like that. Having to warm up the training sessions get longer and kind of what you were saying, like, it doesn't take a lot. <laughs> you no. know, I think the research is showing like you can get away with doing like 30% of the workload that you did to, to earn, to gain that muscle to maintain it. And I've definitely seen that. I may have lost some muscle, but that's more so because, you know, my workouts are essentially 30, 40 minutes long and I'm not giving enough attention to body parts that otherwise, you know, would be fine. Like arms, definitely a little bit smaller, shoulders too. Uh, calves are probably smaller than they already were. Like when I'm in there, I'm doing full body workouts, yeah. uh, going to uh, RP or RIR of like one to three um, and doing like three to four sets. And then I'm doing supersets of opposing muscle groups. And I'm doing that, you know, with the intention of getting in there four times a week, but sometimes it only it's only once or twice. And, and that's great. You know, I, I understand the principles and just, you know, enough about training to know like I don't need to kill myself in the gym or get in there with this high frequency or have this crazy program in there. I just need to go in there and be intentional when I'm in there. And that has given me all of the relief in the world uh, and, and like just kept me from feeling this pressure and guilt to get in the gym, which has been so, so satisfying uh, because yeah. while training and fitness is still a priority of mine, the way that I approach that priority is very different. Yeah, a lot of that a lot of that resonates with me because it became it got to a point for me essentially where the trade-off I would have to make to get stronger was that I wouldn't be able to train in a way that I found enjoyable and that my body didn't feel and move well at all anymore. And I very much value the fact that in a couple of years from now, I'm gonna want to kneel down and play with my child on the floor. If you asked me to do that three weeks ago, no chance. <laughs> And that's not something I'm willing to accept. Um, <clears throat> and then the other part that I want that really resonated with me is we deal with a lot of clients from different walks of life. And you've been been a nutrition coach for how long now? I want to say this is year nine or year ten. Yeah, I, I I have a hard time counting. Uh, not that ten is a big number, but all these years are kind of a, a blur to me at this point. But it's definitely nine or ten. A decade, you know, around a decade of coaching, uh, probably close, well over a thousand clients. Oh, thousands. Thousands of yes. clients. At least two. <laughs> do you, do, like, I feel like it would be silly to think that your own personal journey hasn't impacted how you're able to empathize and help people. Like, you've been at, from high-level competitor to guy training once or twice a week and everything in between 
you've coached people in all walks of life through those things too. So tell me a little bit about how, you know, you draw on your own personal experiences to, to help others. Uh, I love that question. Um, and it's really funny. Like, I think we all kind of go through phases where we look back at, at advice we've given to people and we're like, man, that was not that it was like bad or dangerous advice, but like, that's not the advice you'd give now. Yeah, oh, for you sure. know, like what's a 21 year old, 22 year old giving advice to somebody, you know, who has kids and can't really relate. Like you can sympathize and try to put yourself in their shoes. And I definitely did a great job of that compared to other advice that I've heard from, from people like just not really under, like, there are things that you just don't understand until you go through it yourself. But I'm not just talking about being, you know, a, a father, but also like home ownership, you know, having a wife and just kind of get, you know, having a real career and having real responsibilities really mm-hmm. change the way that you can, you think the way, how much energy you have, attention, uh, you know, just it, it's a lot changes as you change as a person. And the advice that I have given has been, so much more relaxed than it was before because I've also learned more, like more research has come out and just like the whole idea about just not everything needs to be so rigid or black and white or so quantitative has really opened my eyes to make me realize like, hey, we don't need to be, you know, in a deficit every single day. We don't need to meal prep every single day. We don't need to not eat out every single day. There, there's a lot of things where, you know, I'm just like, hey, go out, go do the thing, go enjoy yourself, you know, it's fine, you know, just asking people what their values are, and, you know, how that aligns with their goals, like they might want to lose weight, but their family is really important to them. And part of being a part of that family is having that meal out together, or, you know, enjoying that pizza together. So while, yeah, they want to lose weight, we also have to respect their value, letting them know, like, hey, we can do that. But having still some intention and mindfulness behind, you know, their, their, their eating and what, what's going on there instead of maybe in the past, it would have been like, Oh yeah, but you can track it. It's just in your macros, just kind of find an entry on my fitness pal. That's pretty similar and enter it in there. And it's probably going to be pretty close, you know, try to find one that's a little bit higher on the higher end. And of course that's advice I would give to someone that, you know, has different goals, but like that was a, you know, a goal that was a, an example of a, of a strategy that I would give pretty much every client because that was just like IFYM or just like macro tracking or just trying to, as a coach, like really believing, like if I didn't have qualitative values, I didn't, I couldn't help this person. I didn't know if we were making progress or not. Like if you can't give me a ballpark of how much you're eating that day, like I don't know if we were in a deficit for the week and obviously I can't make a change. But like, also, I don't need to make a change to your calories or I don't need to know exactly a ballpark. Like, let's have a conversation and you can tell, walk me through what kind of decisions you were making and kind of go from there. And I can get an idea of how many calories you consume. But also, it's not a numbers game as much as it was before. It's more of a it's a, you know, behaviors game. If, if I kind of rambled there, but I hope that it all. Kind no, of man, sense. that was that was phenomenal because I, I I'm finding myself like nodding because as I've gotten deeper and deeper into coaching, I find myself leaning more and more on the qualitative information and like how the client is feeling, the decisions that they're making, their values, whether or not they're making conscious or unconscious choices. And the more I get into it, the better and better and better the results are with my clients because it actually resonates with them. Not everything is about numbers. And in fact, I think 
in some cases, the less we lean on numbers, the better the results end up being because that person is able to, you know, I'll use the example of intuitive eating. Intuitive eating to me never made sense because there's so many things in the environment that influence your intuition, whether it be the stress you have at work, whether it be the, um, you know, the, the ad campaigns that you're being subjected to on TV or on the internet, all of these things impact how hungry you are or how you think about food. But if you're already thinking about food and you're already thinking about your emotions, that in itself is teaching intuition. So the more I can lead my clients towards awareness over their moods, awareness over their hunger levels, awareness over their food choices, awareness over their own values, it becomes much easier for them to see where alignment exists and then for me to lead them towards that alignment. And, and I wouldn't have been able to do that if I stayed within the same constraints I used to spend the spreadsheets that I used to give people. <laughs> it was like equation after equation after like complex decision tree. And I want you to eat five more grams of carbs this week than last week. I'm like, looking back, I'm like, wow, why did people work with me? <laughs> well, a lot of people appreciate and they look for that. And that helps them give them that extra edge of training. They feel like having those exact numbers and these exact prescriptions is what's giving that that giving them that edge. And that's totally. where knowing your client and the, the tone and the approach you take is so important. Some people like the flexible approach and some people want this rigid approach that may not be, you know, optimal but for that person it is optimal because that's what they need that's what they want that's what they're used to that's what they're seeking um you know and it, i think it's so funny like when i see some macro prescriptions they're, they're ending in like twos and ones and threes and sevens i'm like if it's not a five or a zero you don't know what you're doing and you're giving this client the fall the false idea that these numbers are so precise and specific to them that they that they, they fail if they don't get these numbers, you know, right. like the, the accuracy, you know, you know, we, we, I think people in this space kind of already know this, but like the, the time of season you get an apple will have different calories in it, you know, depending on the soil, like you can't be a hundred percent. And that's why I think it's so important to get away from giving these exact prescriptions. There's a time and a place for it. But in reality, like most people don't need that unless like, they really have the idea that they do and you kind of have to play into that and hopefully, you know, lead them to where they need to right. be eventually, which is, you know, I, I don't like the term intuitive eating because it, it kind of has these false connotations around it. Uh, and like everybody's intuitive eating and that's why they ended up working with us, you know, yeah, uh, it's true, but I like mindful eating, like eating with yes. intention, having an understanding of, of like the principles uh, and what your 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 goals are is will help you you know make better choices and intuitively with those things in mind. You know, I, I have a client who is a he, he works with a lot of clients. He's got to do a lot of meals out all the time. And some things that we we had a really good conversation conversation today actually. Um, and he was telling me he's like so proud of himself, and not necessarily because we've lost a lot of weight, but because of the choices he's making. Uh, and while they're good choices, it was the thinking that went behind it that was, you know, so great. Like he, he had terrible meal options, but he understood that, you know, being hungry is okay. He's not going to die. 
you know, mm-hmm. body fat is stored energy. Um, that uh, he has con- that he has control. He may not have control over the food choices, but he always has control over how much he can eat. You know, what is being served in front of him? He has portion control. Um, con- he can control his portion control. So he had half a bagel. You're good. Sorry, I was I was getting a call. I got to put myself on on work or something. Focus. Every time, every time you make a thumbs up, there's like a thumbs up emoji that comes it's up. Very distracting. I'm I like, well, what is that? <laughs> I'm gonna keep my I'm gonna keep my thumbs down. Put your hands uh, in your pants. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, he had a half a bagel, and he was like, he used the hunger scale that I provided with him. He's like, I know that I should stay between a three and a five if I want to lose body fat and stay in deficit. So although he doesn't have control over a lot of his meals, he just, you know, chooses to eat less at them, but still be very present and not make food the focus. And that is a way without, you know, being quantitative, still intuitive eating and kind of eating within your goals and your Mm -hmm. constraints. And that's the kind of habits and behaviors that I'm trying to instill into my clients, because we don't need to be in the same deficit every single day. We just need to be in a deficit. And if we're in a deficit most of the time, we're going to see, you know, fat loss, which is the primary goal for most of my clients. I love that. And it's, it, it, I, I see it with a lot of the clients that I work with. And and honestly, I'm, I've, I almost feel myself or, or notice myself guiding some of my clients that are more type A, want that precision almost away from that. And I thrive on that. I think it's fun. Yeah. To just blow people's minds about like, hey, that five extra grams of carbs they had yesterday didn't make or break your workout, <laughs> buddy. <laughs> um, in that same breath, talking about like, you know, precision versus, you know, intentional eating. And you've worked with the top caliber in terms of athletes. You've also worked with moms, dads, professionals. I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit on the similarities and differences between the two, because it was the first time that I I ever started thinking about this. I was talking with Trevor Cashy on our, on our podcast. And he told me he's a little bit quirky. And I was like, yeah, what's the difference between training gen pop and training athletes? And he's like, everyone is gen pop, Paul. And he was, he was saying it kind of, to make sure that I knew the language that I was using, but I actually really enjoyed it because at the crux of it, all of our athletes are still people. Yep. Um, But in terms of their needs and the variability of those needs and the specificity of those needs, what are some things that maybe you might do differently with a, with a high level athlete or what are some things you might make concessions on, on the other side of the spectrum? Um, so the similarities are, you're right. They are people. I have a, an Olympic weightlifter that is actually made team, uh, team USA. Uh, they're right now in, uh, in Budapest competing just to kind of get a little bit more, uh, experience under their belt before they, they have the big tournament next April. Um, but one of the things that like she really needed was, you know, time away from being so calorie restricted because in a calorie restricted sport, uh, or weight restrict or weights or, or, you know, just uh, having to be limited to your weight class, mm-hmm. it makes it really difficult to enjoy yourself because you always have to maintain. And wrestlers tend to, you know, want to be at well, every weight sport, right? They want to be higher than they need to be. Uh, but that can be harder 
for people to do that because, you know, they're gaining muscle and also kind of like being so weight restricted and the culture kind of drives people to eat more and eat more and it makes it harder to lose that weight or uh, after gaining that weight back or gaining more weight than they intended. And it's just one of the things that they really needed was time to be with their family, you know, time mm-hmm. to enjoy a family meal, have a meal with their husband, you know, to have an ice cream, you know, that kind of thing. But, you know, when we're getting closer to competitions, you know, we understand like there are sacrifices that we need to make. Uh, we need to put our heads down and kind of just go after it. And it helps them, you know, understand uh, that, you know, they have this, this long-term gratification goal, you know, that they're working towards. It's, you know, the big meet, big competition, whatever. And they're able to do that. And I think that is where a lot of gen pop people struggle with is that they don't always have that end date. Now, not that that's a good thing either, because, you know, once they get to that place, they don't know what to do. You know, I need to lose 10 pounds. And then what? You know, we get there, yeah. nothing's changed. They're not any happier. You know, they're just kind of, or like they are happy, but then they're just like, well, I don't know what to do with myself. Do I continue going to the gym? Do I still have to eat this way? They don't They don't know. And unless you're having these conversations preemptively leading up to that point. But that is like the, the big difference between the two. Gen pop, you know, they live more in that that place where they have those values that are really important to them that, you know, that don't necessarily mean rigidity and, you know, eating the same thing every single day and having that respect and understand that. Or athletes are okay with that, doing that for longer periods of time, but they still need, you know, to be able to just relax. And a lot of athletes can do that you know, when they're early on in their career and say, I don't need any of that, but eventually they burn out or then they, or they look back and like, man, I was such an asshole to my mom or my grandma or, you know, my girlfriend at the time. And, and while like they were okay with it, they really missed out on a lot of opportunities to, to make memories or make people happy or, you know, make themselves happier because like, you know, a good example I tell my clients is like, two years from now, next year, whatever, you're not going to look back on Christmas and be like, yes, I hit my numbers being on, or I said no to everything. I'm so proud of myself. You're going to be really sad that you didn't get to enjoy yourself or the meals that really brought, bring you happiness and your family happiness that, you know, made those meals for you kind of thing. Dude, that's such a, an important and valuable lesson to learn. And I feel like I only learned that last year. So Olivia and I have been together over two years now. Our first two summers together, she was in prep and then I was in prep the second year with her. So this is our first summer where we've actually been able to enjoy going out to eat in the summer, (laughs) traveling and not bringing our meals, being able to indulge in treats and like do the things that couples do on dates. We're only doing now. And we came to realize after, you know, we went through both of our preps and we did a phenomenal job of communicating with one another. And it was, it was a great experience for both of us to do that. But we came away from it knowing that food is really important to us. It's a way that we bond together and we need to figure out a way, even if it's that we prep our meals together and sit down at the dinner table, at least once a week together to eat our meals, food needs to be a part of our relationship. And I don't think people realize how big the impact of food is on relationships, social engagement, culture. And if we ignore that and you try to have this rigid approach, 
you're either going to alienate yourself from your friend group or you're not going to feel like you're as engaged with them as you could be. It's, and it's a tough lesson to learn, but once you free it up and show people that, Hey, like you can still go out and do all the things you want to do. And I think we run into it more so with those clients that work with other clients and have dinner appointments and things like that. And are quote unquote forced to eat out multiple times a week. Prioritizing the ones you really want to do. Like say one of those restaurants is one you really love. Maybe on the other ones, you order a salad. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like what are some strategies that you, like, I know you're very creative with these. Like what are some strategies that you've used with clients who like to go out to eat, uh, but still want to hit their goals? Uh, there are so many and it really just depends on the person, their relationship, where they like to go. Mm-hmm. Some people just have to be able to concede and be like, I can't go to these places. Like I like to use the example of like a Mexican restaurant. Like if they're bringing you table nachos, you know, either don't go because that's, you know, your, your pitfall or tell them don't bring those there, even though they're free or you go to an Italian place, mm-hmm. if they're bringing you table bread, you know, be prepared for that. Cause they're just going to drop it off and walk away. And if it's in front of you. You're going to have a hard time not eating it. And I know I'm definitely guilty of that. And I tell my clients this all the time, like, I do those things, but I, I'm not trying to, yeah, of course, I'm not trying to diet. I am, I'm not, you know, my goals are my goals and I can get away with eating those things because, you know, I'm super active and I compensate in other ways. Like the next day I'll probably eat less at breakfast. And, and that is exactly a, a strategy that I use. Like if you want to go out to eat and you haven't, you didn't, plan for it accordingly and what i mean by that is like maybe you didn't eat less during during the day and i'm not i'm not talking about starving yourself but intentionally choosing foods that are more satiating um but less energy dense so that you do have more calories in the evening whether you're tracking or not uh if that is not something that you can do or didn't plan for maybe the next day you just skip breakfast you know it's likely that you're not going to be as hungry uh in the morning because you had a bigger dinner uh, you know, those meals tend to be higher in sodium, tend to be uh, more calorie dense. So you're probably going to wake up, you know, a little more bloated, a little bit less hungry. Use that to your advantage. Skip breakfast altogether. That's probably four or 500 calories out of your day. Then just move on. Go right to lunch. Or if you are hungry, have just a protein shake. You know, that's probably going to be the better option if your goals are muscle gain and strength, because then you're still checking that, that protein, protein bolus off, uh, box off, uh, which is really great. But some strategies that I really love using with my wife that work with, you know, everybody is sharing an entree. You know, uh, my wife chooses the entree that she wants and, you know, I'm okay with. Uh, And then we end up just sharing that. We save, you know, 30, 40% of the bill that we otherwise would have gotten because we still get an appetizer uh, instead of two entrees. And then we just go, you know, half and half or 60, 40, whatever it looks like. We end up going half and half because while she thinks that I'm not – that I'm eating the same as her. I'm not because I'm intentionally snacking throughout the day because I have a problem. Um, so I, I'm still eating more calories. And that's why I am not, you know, as small as her eating the same foods as her and same meals and portion sizes. Uh, but sharing a meal really goes a long way. It'll help you save money. And you can both, it forces you to slow down and actually converse because if you're going to sit down and order a meal and there's only one plate of food, you don't want to eat it within five minutes like you would at home during your normal pace because then the whole date is over and it kind of feels like a waste of money. You sat down, you order this food and then you're just walking out the door. Uh, so it does force you to sit down and converse. Um, another strategy I really like is called uh, uh, macro bunging. 
So it's either uh, you pick a meal that's high in protein uh, or uh, and either high in fat or carbohydrates. Uh, so instead of getting a meal that is high in everything, uh, which is going to be a big calorie bomb, a good example of that's like a pizza or a pasta, maybe you get, uh, you know, a sandwich, uh, cold mayonnaise kind of thing, or you get like a salmon dish kind of thing, high in fat or steak, steak and uh, steak and a salad kind of thing. Um, and that way, you, when you cut out a complete macronutrient from your meal, it's likely that a meal is not going to be super calorie dense. Mm. Um, and then kind of realizing, I think talking to yourself too, about like, not every meal has to be a big experience is going to be helpful too. Like the pleasure that you get from food lasts as long as it, you know, it takes to chew and swallow the food. Um, and we learned, you know, if you pay attention, you know, the satisfaction you get from eating goes down with every bite. So I like the example of a pizza, you know, if you're really hungry, you could probably finish it. No problem, whatever. But the first two slices are probably going to be really good. Third slice is going to be okay. Fourth slice it's, it's fine, but you're not like as excited for it. But mm -hmm. if you're sitting in front of it for a long time, you're just going to keep eating it. Or if you have this idea in your head that because you paid for it, you have to finish it, which I think is something that we're all kind of guilty of. You know, we don't want to waste your money. Um, so kind of having that conversation with yourself, like what is actually important to you? Um, understanding, you know, that the satisfaction just doesn't last. Um, and being okay or not eating past the point of like the food's not enjoyable anymore. It's now like work. Um, those are just a, a couple of the strategies off the top of my head and I'm kind of running out of breath. So I'm going to slow down and, and try to group and let you speak. <laughs> oh, it's funny. Cause like Liv and I will share entrees too, but, in, but we ordered two. <laughs> oh, oh well, we ordered two proteins. That, that was the other one. So when we shared the entrees, we ordered two of the protein so we'll get the extra chicken and the extra whatever yeah. and then share whatever stacy got uh sometimes we'll get two but it's usually like one healthy one like we'll get the salad entree with the dressing on the side and then get the actual entree that sarah wants uh live and i do this thing where we order three things we want and we eat them all okay i haven't done that i haven't done that i <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't recommend it if you're dieting but it's delicious um, <laughs> i i think the the take-home point from a lot of what you said is we all live in the real world. We all yeah. live in this environment that is geared towards consumption. It's geared towards indulgence. And to a large degree now, it's geared towards dopamine. And especially if we're dieting for fat loss or even just trying to eat in a mindful way towards high performance in life, and health there's a lot of cues around us that will try to deviate us from that path and you know you're giving a talk later this month uh, at our summit on eating in the real world i actually wanted to touch on how that pertains to the aging individual because oh. You know, we talked about it briefly right before we started, and I, it really, it really piqued my interest because there are a lot of things I could do when I was 26 that I definitely cannot do right now. <laughs> so yeah. how how do you have those conversations? Um, so this is actually a topic that I've been going through a lot with my clients right now. Is you know they're kind of upset that they're not seeing the progress that they want, or they can't adhere 
to the plan that they've kind of created in their head. It's not something that I have told them that needs to be done, but they all have this idea. I think we all do like, and I think school is kind of, you know, the reason for that, you know, it's black or white, you pass or fail, you do well, you get A plus, whatever. Um, but there's a, a lot of gray area. We, we like black and white, but that's not how dieting works or just, you know, health and fitness. There's a lot of gray in there and we need mm -hmm. to learn to live within the gray, but you can't live within the gray unless you understand the gray. Um, so one of the things that I, I really, you know, focus on with my clients is, is, educa is education, you know, teaching them the, the principles and, you know, guiding them and how to, you, you know, use those principles or uh, just apply those principles in everyday life. You know, it's, it's not as difficult as people think, but it, applying it is challenging because they have, you know, habits, behaviors, uh, and environments that make it really challenging. Um, there's a quote that I really like, and I don't remember who said it, uh, a famous bodybuilder. Uh, uh, I think it was Brian Whitaker. I want to give credit where it's due. Uh, optimizing constraints within the variables that you that you live within. Um, and basically what that means is like what, what Paul was saying, like what was optimal for when he was 26 is no, is basically not optimal now because he can't have those variables. So he needs to look at what is what his life constraints are now and what he can do to optimize, you know, those principles to get the most out of whatever his goals are. Um, so for like a parent that might be like, hey, uh, I have to eat whatever my kid's eating because that's what they like and I don't have time to make for myself. How can I make this better? You know, if your kid's eating, I don't know, I, I can't really relate because my son's one and he's just eating whatever we, we're eating. But if they're only into French fries, uh, terrible example, maybe you pair that with a protein shake. You know, that's easy, super simple, convenient, whatever. You can't get in the gym seven days a week. How many times can you get in the gym? You know, a few times yeah. uh, or once or twice and just kind of knowing what you have to do Um in the gym to make the most out of that time. Um, so it's really just kind of understanding what you can do within your control without pushing yourself over the edge, like what's actually realistic, what you can keep up with, what is sustainable. Um, I mentioned my client earlier where he, you know, he was eating, you know, a bagel at breakfast uh, or half a bagel because that's what was given to him at the client meal uh, or the meal with his family. And then later he just chose to eat, uh, you know, he went on this trip with his family and didn't bring anything with him because it was too much work to bring protein powder in his bag and deal with the TSA. And while people say, like, it's not that hard, it, it's not that committed, you know, I really respected that. And I actually, uh, like, really appreciated that more than him going out of his way to do something that's not really sustainable or that he'll do after working with me. But instead, he went in there with nothing and just made choices with whatever he had available to him. Meal one was half a bagel with, with coffee. And while his, his, it was low-protein meal like a low protein day, a low protein couple days is not going to do anything to your progress or fat loss. It might actually help because it's going to reduce your total calories for the day. Um, and then meal two was like just, there was chicken available and then there was some sort of pasta dish and he chose to just have a little bit of pasta. He told me he had like half a cup, he just eyeballed it. And then he had the rest was chicken. He's like, at this point I can eyeball chicken. And he just had a lot of chicken, filled himself up. And then the next meal was pretty similar. He just had chicken and whatever, a small bit of the carb source that was available to him. And there was other choices there. He was at a family vacation. He was just like, these are my goals. This is what I'm going to do. This is totally fine. I'm okay. I'm not dying. I'm not starving. Uh, you know, I'll be fine being a little bit hungry. That might, that worked for him. That may not work for everybody, but just kind of understanding that you can make choices 
that are still in with your goals, regardless of what situation you're in. There's always something that you can do and whether that pushes you over the total calories that you need to lose weight for that, you know, that day, you can make up for it later, you know, for the following days, maybe reducing your carb or a portion size at, at, uh, of all your foods at, at one day uh, or over a, a couple of days. Like just kind of understanding this principle so you don't have to be, you know, in a deficit every single day. You can adjust meals very yeah. easily without really thinking about it uh, or putting real effort in there and how to make food you know, substitutions, you know, eating more energy uh, or less energy dense foods and swapping those for, you know, energy dense food. There, there's a lot. And I'm going to ramble. Well, you can, you, know, but... you can also just chalk that day up as I did my best and I'm going to wake up tomorrow. I'm not going to try to make up for it. I'm just going to get back on the train and make, continue to make really good choices. Absolutely. I, and it, I tell my clients, like, if it's not a pattern, if it's not an event that's going to happen every single day, like a birthday party, yeah. if it's you're not going to be on vacation every day, you know, it doesn't matter. It's not something we even have to talk about. We can just move on from it because we're going to go back to your routine. If you're going to do this once every couple months or a couple of weeks, and I'm not saying, you know, go binge or this is an excuse to go binge, but like, it's not something that needs we need to ever talk about or care about. Like, we don't need to give just a lot of attention we're just going to go right back to what we were doing and that's that's fine yeah totally the uh i think we also overblow like fat is really hard to gain like i'm just gonna uh, fly yes. out. it's like if you want to ballpark it <clears throat> 3500 calories of additional intake that's a lot of food and that has to be compounded for a while for you to actually gain fat tissue. I remember like when we went to New York, we basically ate whatever we wanted for four days. I came back the same weight. We stopped at five bakeries a day, <laughs> but we also walked 20,000 steps a day. Right. So there's a give, there's a take. And what you said about like taking in the constraints and making the best decision available for you and being okay with that. I find a lot of the time we're limited by our expectations and that really shapes how we perceive our effort or perceive the results that we may or may not be getting. So if my expectation is that I'm perfect and my coach has set that expectation for me to be perfect and I'm not, I've failed. But if the expectation is that I just make the most out of the situation make the best choice that I'm equipped to make. And then I just move on. Well, then I've won. I've checked the box. And when we look at, when we look at the, re I always like to come back to the research and I know you're the same. It's like, well, if self-efficacy is the biggest indicator of long-term success, which means how confident am I in my ability to follow the plan? Well, if every day I stack wins because my expectations are realistic then I'm going to be sustainable in my results and I'm going to be consistent in my approach. When the expectations are so high and so unrealistic, it just sets you up for failure. And that's why people end up jumping from one coach to another or, you know, yo-yo dieting and, and trying all these really unsustainable things. I would say for myself, the what ends up being unsustainable for me is actually what I'm trying to do right now. It's listening to my hunger cues because I work and I drink a lot of coffee and I exercise a lot. All these things reduce appetite. 
I, I wouldn't eat. <laughs> so I actually have to plan my meals and, and space it out because I do want to perform at a high level. And I know that'll eventually catch up to me. So I think the more we talk about how simple nutrition can actually be makes people realize that while it might be challenging, it is realistic. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I, I think, well, it is realistic. There are still a lot of challenges that people oh, don't yeah, for sure. like that struggle with. Like people have this idea of what they should eat and what is healthy, but you know, eating that isn't enjoyable. You know, they, they have this idea, you know, eating clean and we all know what that means. It's nothing fun. Um, they may not have, you know, um, just the cooking skills or like the family that really supports them um, or the time That's to make those one. foods, right? There's, there's a lot of things that can really get in the way that make it seem unrealistic. And, you know, while it is simple, like literally as simple as, you know, have four to six protein boluses a day, try to get, you know, uh, a, you know, a fistful of carbs at every meal, keep it moderate to be, you know, for most people, you know, your hand size for, uh, for you, uh, as an individual is going to be, you know, a good portion size for yourself based on your body size. They mentioned kind of trying to get like three to four servings of vegetables a day, you know, including that at every single meal, mm -hmm. um, you know, trying to get, you know, X amount of fiber, whatever. It's super simple, but putting that into practice is it's challenging for a lot of people. It's time. Um, and that's why I'm hoping to really show people how you can make it a part of your lifestyle without having to change a lot. You know, sometimes it's really as simple as have a protein shake, you know, with this meal. Uh, mm -hmm. Let's have a, a fruit at the end of this meal, you know, and just making some simple changes like that. Uh, but I really like what you said about self-efficacy because that's really the number one thing that I, I promote with my clients. And a lot of coaches, I think, are scared of that because it, it drives independence. And for them, independence means loss of income. You know, oh, they, yeah. they want people to stay with them forever. And that's why a lot of people use tricks like giving specific numbers or, you know, in the past, you, you probably don't do this now because you said it, but like giving really complicated spreadsheets and asking people for a lot of things. Like I'm not saying that's what you're doing before by any means, but like it gives people this false idea. Like these, these metrics are so important and I can't do this on my own. And, you know, then they kind of have this, this idea that they can't, that they're stuck, you mm -hmm. know, that, or like they don't know how to do this on their own. But for me, like, and I think for you too, like the, the best thing I can hear from a client is like, I don't need you anymore. Yeah. Not that anyone's ever said those words to me. That would be very harsh. But, uh, you know, just hearing them say like, I can do this on my own. I'm very confident. You know, yeah. I have the skills and, and just the, the know-how to do this. And it's not like they need all the knowledge that I have, but just enough to understand, like using their hunger cues, knowing what a meal looks like, how to navigate through every social situation. Like I really encourage people to go live their lives, go to the event, go do things. If you fuck up, great. And I, I want to know what you what you define for yourself as a fuck up so that we can talk about it and yes. talk about how we can make things a little bit better the next time. Like if it was like standing by the snack table when you went to the party, maybe next time we just you know, take a couple feet and we have a conversation elsewhere kind of thing. Like let's talk about the challenges and the weaknesses that you had so we know how to better prepare ourselves for the next time. It's not bring your meal with you or make sure that you're super full before you go or just tell yourself you're going to eat later. It's like, how can we still be normal and, mm -hmm. you know, and, and still manage our calorie intake? And I don't know if 
you know, I hope the whoever's listening to this can pick up like, but there were very few times where I mentioned, you know, numbers at these meals or asking for numbers. These are all, you know, just qualitative things, not so much quantitative uh, that I'm, I'm seeking out at, at these events or when they go out to eat, like I could care less because they're all estimates anyways. Like just let's have a conversation about it and try to manage it because it's just, we can be in a deficit without tracking. And I try to use not non-tracking methods with my clients as often as possible because it shows them that there's a world where there's, where I'm not involved or where they don't need to track. Yeah. I mean, when I get a, an email from a client that says, man, I am so happy with the results that I've gotten. And I feel like I can do this on my own. That's chalk one in the wind column for me. Yeah. I might not get that monthly income anymore, but I, I permanently impacted that person's life. You did your job. I yeah. did my job. Yeah. So we're coming close to the end and I have a few quick hit questions for you. Yeah. Some serious, some less so serious. Okay. The first question, uh, who are the top three people in the industry that you feel have the most valuable things to say? Present company Dr. excluded. Huh? Present company excluded. Uh, Dr. Eric Helms. Okay. Uh, he's uh, one of the lead researchers over at uh, Mass. Uh, Dr. Eric Trexler, he's also one of the guys over at Mass. Um, and number three, I think, would probably be right now Jackson Payos. Uh, I think he actually completed his, his doctorate too, so he's also a doctor. Um, they put out the most you know, the cutting edge research on, on, uh, you know, nutrition, sports performance, and just kind of very much fit my tone uh, and the way that I view the world and this critical thinking, people put your person or put the person first uh, approach, having conversations, thinking about what their life is like, um, you know, that, that kind of view and thinking is what I really align with. Um, so, you know, applying the research as best as you can within the constraints of that person and having multiple conversations and so that we can find something that works. Because while they're saying something, you know, they may not actually mean what they're saying or actually want that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's kind of what I've really learned from, from those people. Love that. Do you crack your eggs on a flat surface or on the corner of the pan? Uh, I tried the pan one time and it it didn't go well, so always a flat service. Okay, good, good man. Yeah. Uh, if you could have five dinner guests, dead or alive, who would they be? Little probably, pregnant pause. <laughs> well, probably, you know, the I can't really think of anybody, but the people that come to mind are the, the Power Rangers. I was actually wearing the shirt that, this morning. Uh, and that's the first thing that came to mind. So let's get the original crew together and talk about some things. Not at their current age, but maybe while they were still teenagers as Power Rangers, not not the actors. That was nowhere near what I expected. I, I don't know why you expected it. Really, good, but that's, good. that's where my mind went. Good for you. Um, what is your favorite flavor of Crispy Mini? Crispy Mini? Yeah, like rice cake. What is it? Oh, rice cake. Uh, oh, like the chips or the, the actual rice cakes? Oh, you're a rice cake guy. So rice cakes. Uh, I like, I actually have a bag here, which is kind of embarrassing because I don't normally. 
uh, but white cheddar. And the reason for that is that they're not that great. Um, so I only eat one at like a time. If that's like a quick snack. If we're talking about the rice chip bags, rice cake chip bags, it would be the cheddar. I crush a bag of those at least oh, three times so a week. Good. Yeah, they're 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 like I don't even care that they're not really low calorie, but in my mind I'm like this is better than Doritos. And yeah. really they're not, uh, at least in taste, but probably have the same calories if you're looking at a, a similar bag. Uh, but yeah, I crush those no problem. No, they're not only for a full bag, like a full normal bag of crispy minis. It's seventy five grams of carbs and fifteen fats. That's a lot of calories. I honestly didn't even want to know the numbers. Well, so there you now go. You put that in my mind, and now I don't want to eat them. I really like being ignorant. Sorry. Uh, the last question: Who would you like to see on the podcast next? The caveat is you have to help me get them on. Ooh, well, like. Eric Helms, Eric Trexler, or Jackson Payos. You can help me get them on the podcast? I probably can. They're not that hard to speak to. I've messaged them. I mean, they seem nice. Okay, deal. We'll, we'll hold you to they that. They podcast all the time. They love podcasting. <laughs> Jessica, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, if people want to get a hold of you, how do they get a hold of you? Uh, they can find me on the Master Athletic uh, website, yep. which I'm sure you'll have links somewhere. Um, or my personal Instagram, uh, F underscore Calamano. Or if you like powerlifting and are in Canada or somewhere close to Canada, I do. I am a meet director. I would love to have you. You can check us out at Catalano Events uh, on Instagram. You can email me at Francesco at, at uh, masterathleticperformance.com. Or is it masterathletic.com? Masterathletic.com. No, is it? It's just masterathletic.com. It, it, it auto populates on my computer. Boom. Uh, thank you, everyone. Oh, I just knocked the, knocked the camera. Uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us. Uh, this podcast obviously brought to you by Master Athletic Performance and Coaches Corner University. Visit www.masterathletic.com for all your coaching needs. Work with myself, Francesco, or any one of our team members, or www.coachescorneru.com. And if you are interested in our CEU-approved course, the foundations course, we are offering a 25% discount on that course right now with the code CSCSCEU. So visit www.coachescorneru.com to register for that. Chesco, thanks so much. I'll link everything in the show notes. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds great.